Hey, welcome to Eastlake. So glad you are here. Part four of our series conclusion today, which means communion after service today, all that good stuff. And we are finishing up a conversation on what it means to wear love. If you have missed any of the first three parts, there's a website you can go to, eastlaketricities.com slash talks. The idea behind the series has been simply this. If we've ever had anybody come up to us and say, so what is this, uh, this following Jesus thing? Like, all right, what does it all entail? Um, you it would say not just a set, uh, a set of beliefs that you have to believe, right? Uh, but then there's, also, there's always a catch. There's always something that you're expected to do. So it's an astute question, like, what are you expecting of me? Anytime somebody's trying to sell you anything, uh, you would be smart to be like, so um, what are, what's required of me? Should I say yes to this? So we're assuming that that's a general question for anybody that's uh, new to Christianity, new to faith, or even new to Eastlake. And so this is kind of our answer. We, we want you, our goal is for every single person who um, calls East Lake home to have some, an engaged faith, a faith that isn't just mental assent to a certain set of beliefs, but something that you do. In fact, that was like week one of the series, that love is something that you do. It's something that you never stop doing. It's not a lack of uh, hatred towards something, but it's a lack of indifference towards this. Uh, and then we said... Uh, that uh, really it comes down to follow, what does following Jesus look like? It, it, com- it, it comes down to that he, he, he calls us to wear love, to go out and to do this. And so it's asking the question, in this situation with where I'm at, with who, I'm, who I am and all the things that uh, make up the, the, my personality and my makeup and my financial situation, my season of life situation and my family situation, uh, what would it look like for me to wear love or put on love or what do I need to do with my job? I can either just do my job and collect a paycheck, or I can see it as sort of a vocation or a ministry or something that I, even though it's not a church, right, I can, I can see it as something that's, uh, it's a higher calling. It's something that's significant to me. So what does it mean for me to wear love in this sort of situation? And last week we talked about motivations and being here for the right reasons, which is why Mallory mentioned that in the video. So today I want to talk about the only thing that counts, the only thing that counts, which sounds interesting because it sounds like Brent, why are there four parts? If this is the only thing that counts, what was the point of weeks one through three? Totally get that. Uh, I got it. I can't just do a one-week series. It just doesn't work with my MO, so I have to make up other stuff. I'm just kidding. Uh, I think it all leads up to today, and I, I do think today is, uh, is of critical importance. And, and uh, if you've been around Eastlake any length of time, you know that that feels like a very aggressive standpoint. Um, the only thing that counts, or this is what you have to believe. Like, uh, maybe you've attended church like that before, or that's been your, like, uh, attitude towards churches is that they kind of everything is something that's like black and white and everything is something that you have to believe or everything thing is the most important and when everything's ultra important then nothing's really important um, and so I, I realize the danger of that for a lot of times when you come and uh, be a part of a series with us I'll, I'll open these, this thing I'm like hey I'm, this is my opinion this is what it, I think it's leading us to this is where it points us towards but I think this is so centrally critical and does uh, provide a lens by which we look at everything else that we do in terms of following Christ and doing that. So to intro today, I want to ask you a question that uh, I think will make sense uh, in in a while. It might not make sense exactly now. I'm going to introduce an analogy that feels limited, but hopefully, uh, hopefully it resonates. Have you ever played a game and gotten towards the end of the game and realized you forgot at some point along the way, you forgot what it takes to win the game. You got really good at something, but it was like a side distraction thing. It was, it was a step in the process, but then you just focused on that. And then somebody goes, I win. And you go, what do you mean you win? And they're like, uh, well, I have 10 victory points. And you're like, yeah, but I have a lot of ore. I have so much ore. 
Um, I, if you, I have a monopoly on ore. If you want ore, you got to talk to me. I am the ore guy. And uh, used a different term, that one that rhymes with ore, but like I can't say that in church. So there's other things, but you, you feel like this is what's most important for me. And at the end of the game, you realize that it really didn't matter. At one point in the game, it was really, really smart and strategic for you to uh, collect ore. Uh, but then the game changed. The rules changed. The motivation changed. Something changed, and you missed it, and you just kept going on the old thing, and then you got kind of stuck with it. So everybody's like, oh, that's so cute. He plays board games still. That's amazing, right? Um, all right, so I'll stop with the analogy there. But I, I do think that there's an example in Scripture where something similar has sort of taken place, that there was a way that the game was being played. Then there became a change in the game. Some people didn't, didn't change the way. that They didn't adapt. They didn't do anything different. And then there's a conflict as a result of it. Paul writes a letter to a church in a region of cities called Galatia. Galatia wasn't a city. It was a selection of cities in modern-day Turkey. Uh, And on his very first missionary journey, Paul would eventually go on three missionary journeys. He would go and plant churches, start churches in different communities. Then he'd go to the next community, start another one, start another one. And eventually he would return home to Antioch. And as he's home, he would then like probably start saving money again so that he could go and do this again. Uh, and as, uh, as, a, as a result of him traveling and doing these things, then he would have correspondence back and forth with these churches, uh, offering advice, um, uh, offering criticism, cr- critiques of what they've been doing or what they've been told. Uh, and some of those letters cr- were collected for us in what's called the part of the New Testament. So Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, all different letters written by Paul to different churches going back. Galatians being one of the very first ones because it was on his very first missionary trip. And uh, he comes back and Immediately after coming back, about a, a year after returning from his trip, he, he realizes he's getting word somehow. We don't know how he heard about it. But at some point, he realizes uh, that there are people, there have been Jews who have come up behind Paul, who have gone to this area of Galatia, which was filled with Gentiles, by the way, which basically means non-Jews. And Paul's message was uh, that a person named Jesus had come. He was the fulfillment of the Messiah that Judaism pointed towards. And he offers a new way into connecting with a God who created the universe, who is the one true God, not many gods, but one God. And everything that we can know about that God is known through Jesus, and so we should follow in his footsteps, right? Uh, These Jewish people had followed him up after that, after he had gone, uh, and had said, this is really great. Paul's a great guy. This is, um, a lot of it is really true, but he was kind of missing a few things, uh, primarily being this, that you, in order to fully embrace Christianity and understand the nuances of Christianity, you must first become a Jew. Um, Paul was Jewish. Jesus was Jewish. It makes sense. Like, we, we understand why they would do this. So I don't want to paint a picture of them like, can you believe that? That's ridiculous. For them, Jesus was Jewish, Paul was Jewish, everything about the whole heritage was Jewish. Jesus would use very um, law-oriented language. He says specifically once, I did not come to abolish the law, which was uniquely given to the Jewish people, but to fulfill it, all that sort of language. And so they're like, um, it's really, uh, Paul is great. He's just a little bit kind of aggressive. Like he comes out and it's so cute that he wants to plant all these churches and do these things. But there's a few things that he missed, and we just want to make sure that you don't miss out on what's how, how you truly become Christian. So in order to do that, you must become Jewish before you become Christian, which doesn't sound like a bad deal, although it's not the pathway that many of you chose to become Christians, if you are a Christian. or You didn't come to Eastlake and then be like, but before I came here, uh, I stopped at, uh, I met this rabbi, and he taught me what it means to be Jewish, and then I found Christianity, right? You, just, you can find Christianity and be fine with that and be okay with that, right? So... 
Uh, for them, though, it was uh, God chose a unique nation named Israel. He gave unique laws to Israel in the form of the Ten Commandments, but then also other different laws. We, do, we need to do our best to live up to those laws, um, and, uh, and then we can be in right standing with God, and we, we make certain sacrifices to him, both um, with animal sacrifices, but then also there's this like final hoop that you need to jump through called um, circumcision, which is a sacrifice of sorts, but generally for men. And it's a surgery, and, and you need to be able to do that. And, and no surprise, it was the, usually the final step towards becoming ceremonially a Jew, right? Because why would you make that the first step? Like, I'm still kicking the tires, but let me get this part out of the way first. Like, that doesn't make any sense. So, um, so they, uh, so they begin to say, uh, you must also be circumcised, which is basically saying, uh, while Paul says that this is of no value, we're telling you that there is some value in this. We're so pro-Jesus. It wasn't that they weren't pro-Jesus. We are pro-Jesus, but Jesus was Jewish, so you need to be Jewish too. Their water bottles, if they had a sticker on them that had cute little sayings, it would be something along the lines of, Jesus died for you, you can suffer through a little surgery for him. So that would be their, their, on their bottles. So um, here's the, but imagine this, imagine this being in the situation, imagine the vitriol, if somebody, like let's, like, let's take this in the modern context. If somebody said, we think it's really cool that you want to be an American citizen. Now, in order to become an American citizen, you need to hire us to be able to, uh, we are the, the loophole by which you get this. Or and we love the democracy, the freedom to be able to vote, the age is the only limiting factor as long as you're a citizen of the U.S. and you're 18. However, you do need to purchase a license from us to be able to do this because we are going to make sure that you are uh, have the mental capacity to know exactly what you're doing because this is a dangerous tool in the hands of the wrong people, right? For us, we would be like, hey, that's not really democracy and that's pretty much infringement on our natural rights as Americans. Americans, therefore, shame on you, right? So that's, that's what's happening. Uh, I'm trying to paint it in, the, in, in a similar picture for us. This is why Paul is so adamant against this. He takes time to write a letter specifically to the Galatians. The whole purpose of the letter is there have been people who are coming after me who have said you also need to do things to make it right with God. Uh, there, there's no freedom in, in, in that. There's, there's law, and they're, they're assuming some of the old way of doing things and making it sound like you got to kind of have a little bit of that in order to do what I've talked to you about doing. So, And they're discrediting me in the process, by the way, saying Paul was really nice. But did you know he wasn't really one of the 12 disciples? Like, yeah, he was. Uh, he, he didn't come along until afterwards. And so he's like, I got to clear this thing up, right? I got to make this thing right. So that's the setting for the book of Galatians or the letter to the Galatians that we have. Now, I want to talk to you. We're going to show you a couple of verses and then what he finally settles on as the only thing that matters. It'll be really clear where that's at because it actually says those exact words. So verse two, though, we're going to jump in chapter five. Verse two, mark my words. I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you. At all. Mark my words. That's his. Uh, there's uh, that, that that prior verse has an exclamation point at the end, but there's no ex, there's no grammatical uh, uh, punctuation in uh, the Greek language. So this is my way of saying this matters, guys. This is uh, like draw your attention to this. I, Paul, and there's there's no question, by the way, about who wrote Galatians. Really, there's some there's some questions about some other books that potentially were written by Paul in terms of New Testament scholars and everything. But everybody's pretty sure that Paul wrote this. It's very it's too personal. Um, it's too soon to his trip. And, and so he's saying, he basically he's coming out and saying, I'm telling you this, if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to, to you at all. And he singles out circumcision, um, but really he's just att attaching it to the law. The law, the way that, that it used to be, 
If you wanted to connect to God, and if you wanted to make yourself worthy of God, you needed to do something to match up to his expectations of you. You control either God's happiness or anger towards you based on your adherence to the things that he says you need to live your life a certain way or not do it a certain way. And Paul is saying there's no value in that at all. Paul was circumcised, though. By, um, so this is kind of a unique thing because um, they're very, even the Galatians would be familiar with the Jewish like obsession with circumcision, by the way. Um, they'd be like, they, they understand. Paul was probably circumcised. Jesus was um, circumcised. Uh, all of Jesus' disciples would have been as good, good Jewish boy. In fact, even today, it's like this super common thing. In fact, show of hands. How many, just kidding. Just kidding. <laughs> she goes, oh my gosh. So super funny. I did this in first service. And I quickly, just like I did just now, I like, okay, I'm, I'm just joking. Obviously, awkward joke for everybody, right? And I had some advice from John Inman in between services, like, you need to let that linger a little longer. You should see, you should see if anybody raises their hands, and I'm like, I physically can't do that. I, I, I would probably lose it on stage, so we're not going to do that. But um, now that we've gotten over that awkwardness, let's, let's move on. Uh, if you allow yourself to be circumcised, you're, you're basically subscribing once again to uh, the old way of doing things, the old way of connecting with God. And Jesus comes on the scene and says, there's a new thing, there's a new ethic, a new way of, of doing this. Um, you love God and love others, and it has very much to do with a, um, a lack of a uh, make yourself presentable towards God. The verse, in verse one of this, it's, this, it's for freedom that you have been set free. It's, there, it talks about a freedom involved in this. that You no longer live in that way of doing things. Like, God's okay with it. He any sort of movement towards him was inspired by him anyway. So he's not even impressed by the fact that you're doing good things to impress him. He's like, I kind of, it's like giving your kids money and then them buying you a gift. You realize that you bought that gift for yourself. It just went through them and they feel really good about it, right? And you want your little six-year-old to think beyond themselves and buy you something for Father's Day or Mother's Day or whatever. But at no point are you thinking, my kid is so generous. You're like, they figured this thing out. Good, finally. You understand that I buy you everything, right? Or when you ask them for Skittles and they're like, well, I'll give you one. You're like, I bought that whole dang bag, son. How about I give you one? You want that to be the case? Anyways, we're not really that generous, even when we try and be that generous. That's what's going on with Paul in this scenario. If you go back to this idea of impressing God, later on he would say, just go the whole way and mask your whole body, right? Take this whole thing. You can't go halfway in this. You can't be, uh, you, you can't, you can't go in that direction at all without affirming the whole thing. Let me illustrate it in this way. If I had in my hands a $100 gift card to like Bookwalter or something like that, okay? And I was like, I'm gonna give this to somebody here uh, and I'll meet you in the lobby afterwards. And I gave it to somebody in the lobby afterwards. And they're like, thank you. And you get, you'd be so thankful. You'd be like, thank you, thank you so much. Can, I, can we do it? I mean, this feels awkward. Like you're just giving me something. Can I like give you something in return? Or can we do something? I'd be like, no, 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 no. And if you like kept it up, no, no, seriously. Let me, let me pay you for this. Let me give you some money for this, right? And I'd be like, no, no. It's fine. It's a gift. It's my gift to you. And if you'd be like, no, but I really, I really feel bad about taking this. Let me do something. And I was like, all right, give me 20 bucks for it, right? And then you gave me 20 bucks for it. All of a sudden, it shifts from a gift. It's no longer a gift to you. I did not give you a gift. I gave you a discount card. You did something for me in return. You gave me $20 in return, and I gave you $100, right? So it was a give and a take. You offered something in the relationship. I've be basically given you a discount. I haven't given you a gift anymore. All I am to you is like a better version of Spotted Fox. That's all it is. 
that's not, that's not really truly appreciating the gift that is grace. So Paul is going to draw this contrast between when you do this, you are nullifying the idea of grace. As soon as you start thinking, I can do something to earn this, I can do something to respond to this, I can connect, God, thank you for blessing me. You continue to bless me. I'll do little things for you, and we'll have this like symbiotic relationship. You do things for me, I do things for you, and aren't we glad we have each other, and this is perfect. That's not grace. It's not how this whole thing works. Paul says that's not what Jesus introduced. He introduced something completely different. You who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. Grace is the hallmark of the Christian experience. Jesus knows everything about you. He chose you anyways. And the moment you try to earn it, you've done away with grace. The moment you adopt a bargain mode with God, the moment you adopt a bargaining mode with God, you have fallen away from grace. And Paul is saying he, he isolates circumcision, but really any form of attempt to do things for God to impress him, that's bargaining with him. Thanks for all this stuff that you do for me. Can I, can I do something for you? Can I just, can I do this? And and Paul's like, stop, knock it off, don't do that. For in Christ Jesus, verse 6, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. It is a non-factor. Whatever you do is a response to this grace in light of doing things for him as if he needs it is a non-factor. And if that's a non-factor, then what is important with this? How do you respond to grace? If somebody has given you a gift card, what is the proper response to be able to be, uh, to be thankful, to be gracious, you know, to, to be uh, a recipient of this in an in, in appropriate way? So he's going to tell us in the end of verse 6, but before I read this verse to you, when I read this, there's going to be a couple of things going on in your mind, depending on kind of your background in terms of church and faith and religion and history, all that kind of stuff, right? If you're a Christian... If I took the next part of this verse, and I could have just, just done one verse. Like, this next verse is so powerful um, and, and so, uh, uh, like, generalized and available. I could, I could put all kinds of cute personal stories around it. I could come up with several different cultural applications. And if I didn't give this thing any pretext and talk about Galatians or Paul's uh, perspective or what he's arguing against here, you might leave and never come back to this church because you'd be like, oh, here we go. It's like... This loosey-goosey church that believes whatever they want to believe, and it's all feel good and do whatever, right? But on the other side of things, if you're not a Christian, you're not coming to this with any sort of background, as soon as I read this verse, you're going to be like, how is this the first time that I'm hearing about this? What he's about to say addresses the reason that you resist Christianity, or Christians in particular, because it feels like nobody else got the memo. So here's the verse. You ready? The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Paul addresses the bargaining mode that we often live with in God in terms of, okay, I got to li- live a good life. I got to do these things for you because you've done some things for me. And he says, that is all garbage. It's all crap. Don't do any of that. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself in love. Well, yeah, but I mean, Paul, come on, man. Have you ever read the Bible? There's more. He's like, I freaking wrote half the Bible in the New Testament, Okay. Well, yeah, but with the, uh, the author of the Ephesians, are you talking about me? Me? Uh, but what about the Old Testament and like, the, uh, like the, 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 the Ten Commandments and all the kind of, like the Bible's big, man. There's a lot of stuff in there. Are you sure this is the only thing that counts? Paul would say, listen, what I know about Jesus, what I know about faith, what I know about 
being understanding grace in its full and utter completeness is this, the only thing that matters, is your faith expressing itself in love. That the things that I believe are done and they're done in an attitude of love. It calls me to something, not to make things right with you, but an expression of love for others. That I do things with the motivation of how, what, what does love require of me? What would love look like in this situation for me? Now, notice it does not say the only thing that counts is love. That sounds a little bit flimsy. And again, that would be the type of thing where you'd be like, yeah, that's just a progressive church planner trying to be like everything just amounts to love. And as long as you do what feels good for you, then that's enough for you, right? That's not what, that's not what this is saying. This has to do with belief systems and this has to do with um, uh, at the core of my, myself, I hold these things to be true. Now, how do I live these things out in a way that is loving, not judgmental, not you need to do this or else God doesn't love you or whatever in that way. So the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love for other people, not how you treat God. God is fine. He doesn't need, he doesn't need you. What he wants is you to respond to the grace that he's given by being gracious to other people. By people that he, being gracious to people that he loves. Now, it's interesting because I remember hearing this for the first time. I remember, I think it was a, a, a book I read or a, a message that I listened to or something like that. And I, I heard it and I thought, that's not in the Bible. That guy's making it up. Or I thought, here's what I thought. Um, that's one of those like translations that like are uh, uh, like a Eugene Peterson message version that like sound really good, but then you dive into the actual scripture and you're like, it doesn't really sound anything like that. He just wanted to sell more books or something like that. And so I was like, I don't know. I don't know if that's really... This is the NIV translation. This is like basic con. This is this is, and you look at the, the Greek and the way that it works out. It's faith expressing itself in love. The way that it may, the way that may, faith makes itself known, but in ways that are loving. This was challenging for me. I remember hearing this for the very first time, thinking it it assumes beliefs. It assumes faith. It assumes something at the core of my being. But then it challenges me on how I do this and how I live this out. And my attitude towards others affects my relationship with God. That my faith is not isolated to what's only vertical, like me and him, and I don't care, does this all, none of this matters, it just matters here. And it feels like Paul is saying, no, actually, you got it opposite. This is already solidified, and you can't do anything about this one, but you can do something about this one. You can do something about all of this, the way that you live your faith out in, in, in a way that is loving, is what's most important. So I realized I needed to get this in front of my mind as often as I could. I needed to consistently be asking myself the question, am I wearing love and am I challenging myself? So a few years ago, I changed my Twitter avatar, like the little picture that's next to your logo, um, to this thing that is just a wear love logo. It's our old wear love logo. I got to update it, but I'm lazy and haven't done it yet. Um, And I remember having that on there and every once in a while, you get on your phone, something happens in society, something goes down, and, and so you want to get on and be a part of the conversation, because you want to contribute and feel like you're making a difference in the world, right? And so, with a text message, and so, or a, uh, a tweet or whatever. And I, I would type something snarky, because that's how uh, Twitter operates, right? And then right before I click send, I see this Twitter avatar that says, wear love. And then I see that my logo and the attitude of my text don't match up. And I know that as soon as I click send and it goes out into the world, somebody's going to be like, well, that, look at this guy's avatar. Look at, look at what he says. That's not really loving to say that or do that. I cannot tell you how many times I have typed something out and not even gone to, like, my wife's my last filter before it goes out. Before I even get to that, I'll stop and I'll look and I'll see, does that match up with this? 
Am I wearing love if I say this? Nope. Delete. Draft. I got to get rid of it, man. I got to get done with it. Man, I'm telling you, this verse right here has shaped my own personal belief of how I'm living this out more than anything else that I've, I've read. It's like the only thing that counts is my faith being expressed in ways that are loving. If it's not done in love, then it's not done at all. Like that's just judgmental. I don't really love you. I'm just trying to feel good about myself and how good my behavior is. I don't really care about your behavior. I criticize your behavior because it doesn't match up to mine. It makes me feel better about myself. That's not love. I'm not wearing love. I had to put this on, a, on a, a thing on my phone. So like my lock screen now is this. So the moment I go to send a text message to somebody or call somebody or, or the moment I go surf the internet or do whatever, am I wearing love in what I'm doing? I, I so badly want this at the forefront of my mind. I need to see it. I need to hear it. So then I actually do it because I'm base, man. I'm simple. I'm, I'm, I'm stupid. If I, if, I, if I have not made this systematic in my life, I want to make this thing work. I'm so committed to this that I, I want to make this a reality. And, and so here's the deal. Like a few months ago, we sat down and we were looking at, uh, as a church leadership team, how do we, uh, like, what's the next thing? How do people grow up faith? It's been a constant refrain for us. And we, we feel like we're, we're good. We, um, Paul talks about um, uh, in his writings, indicative and, and imperative. Here's who you are and who you are in Christ. And your value no matter what, and then here's what you need to do about it. We've always been really good at, like, indicative. We've been a really welcoming community, I, I think, I feel like, that, that says that God loves you no matter what. And then um, what do you do with that? How do you live that out in light of that thing? And that's where we've kind of been, like, a little bit of a struggle. And so uh, we, we said, all right, we want to go. We want to do a series called Wear Love. We want to have, we want to get this in front, in, in, in people's faces and mindsets. And we want to have water bottles and T-shirts and stickers and just all kinds of brand swag that's out there so that people see this and hopefully it shapes their behavior. They, they monitor themselves, but it's not like out of a restriction to do it. I want to do it because I'm responding to the grace that I've been given and I'm not doing it to impress God. Like he doesn't, he's not impressed with it. It doesn't matter, but I want what I believe to match what I do. I want to live an engaged faith. I want the thing that I believe to actually mean something. Because in week one of the series, we, we said you can be for something emotionally. You can be for something intellectually. I'm for the idea of being married. Uh, but I, you can be disengaged from it in reality. You can be for the idea of being with somebody, but then you don't actually do the things to stay in that thing. I want my actions to match up what I believe. I want to wear love because I truly believe that the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself in love. And I don't want to get to the end of my life and be like, but I got all this ore. Like I got all these, I got all these beliefs that I believe all the right things. If you ask me where that's in, where that's at in the Bible, I know it faster than you do. And I, I you know, good church attendance, and I got all these things. And I, I've, but I, and my fear is I've been, I've been working on the wrong way to win the game. Not that this is life is a game, but what I'm saying is I don't want to miss it. I don't want to miss out on the most important thing. And according to Paul, the most and the only thing that counts, not like this is one of many things that's a little bit better than the others. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself in love. So for the next couple of weeks, you're going to see us rolling out, man. We got water bottles. We got some stickers. We're working on some T-shirts. Uh, we we, uh, we we you saw it in the weekly this week. Some iPhone screens, like download, put them on your screen. I, I want. I would prefer that this logo prioritize over our church logo. I don't want to see our church 
Um, like East Lake Tri-Cities on a t-shirt. I feel like that's like self-promoting. It's kind of weird. Um, uh, I would rather have it be this. Um, I, don't even, I don't even have a tattoo on my body, but I'm considering it, you guys. And don't laugh. It's way better than that Chinese symbol you think says forever on your arm, okay? So I want something that every time I see it in the mirror, I see it on myself, I see this, I think it shapes my behavior and it reminds me of Galatians chapter 6, verse 5, the only, or 5, verse 6, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself in love. Listen, the only reason the church survived the first century is because an ever-growing handful of people figured this out and lived this out and did it in this way. They followed Jesus in liking people who were nothing like them. They did for others with no expectation of reciprocation. They did for others when those others could not do or would not do anything for them. And if something is absolutely that important, then perhaps we feel like we should do something about it. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself in love. So here's the plan, guys. I'm going to go into commercial mode for half a second, okay? Um, and I don't usually do this. I, don't, I never sell stuff. We never have stuff in our lobby like you can buy this book or do this thing or whatever. Um, but coming in May of 2019, we feel an obligation as a church leadership team to help you get here. We, we, we want, we feel like, um, is there anything that we could do to help ha- create a system where you, uh, I see it and I hear it, and then I'm, uh, I'm encouraged to go do it and inspired to go do it. I want to see this where love stuff. I want to see it in more places. I want to hear more about it. And by the way, this is like the basic gospel message for us. Like Paul, I think, brings this up going, every time you get together, the gospel message of grace, unrequited grace, um, and then it, that inspiring you to do something, the indicative that leads to the imperative, that should be like a repetitive thing. You should see it and hear it because maybe then perhaps you'll actually go do it. So we're starting something in May called Base Camp. Um, you've probably heard of our starting point thing. We do a starting point course. It's eight weeks. It's on Sunday mornings. It's in this little room that's like around the corner in this little shop deal, right? It's a toy shop in front that sells Bigfoot paraphernalia, and then you walk through the back door. It's like a secret. Kind of cool. Anyways, it's kind of weird too, but you go to a church in a 50-year-old theater. Everything's weird, right? So uh, that makes sense. Um, and, but for us, starting point has been a what is Christianity all about? It's a basic, it deals with the belief formation. It deals with what do we believe about something. This then is that next chapter, that next thing. What do we do? How do I live out in engaged faith? And so we're going to be doing a thing called base camp. We're going to be coming up with all kinds of different cre- uh, creative ways to help lead you towards this, to lead you to do this. Because you can sit here and be like, I'm, I'm for this. I'm really emotionally am for this. Help, but I don't want to, I want to avoid being disengaged from it in actual reality. I'm for the idea of my faith filtering through my actions, but I, I want to be for this. So um, Mallory, the person who was just on the video, uh, did the transition video. She's going to be out in the lobby after service. She's going to be at the free book table. We're giving out a bunch of stuff. So come by. The only thing is you have to sign your life away and, and, and um, uh, basically four easy payments of, no, I'm just kidding, right? <laughs> you come, you let us know that you're interested in, in being a part of a base camp thing. It's going to take place on during a Sunday morning service for four different weeks, we're going to start them in May, but we're going to do May, June, July, August. We're going to do a bunch of them. We can't fit everybody in that room. So there's no, even if you sign up today, you might not get in the May one. Because you're going to be like, I can't do May, but I can do June. And uh, I can do two weeks in June, but then I'm gone all of July because I travel a bunch because I'm awesome. Uh, and so I, I, I get it schedule-wise and whatever. I'm just telling you, in the next season, we're working on something to make sure that you are inspired to actually do something with this. A little bit more hands-on than just a series. I want you to see. I want, I want you to be in a position where I see it, I hear it 
and then I'm going to do it. I'm going to live out and engage faith. It doesn't mean adding more stuff to your calendar. We talked about that in week one or two of this thing. But it's allowing you to see things through a new lens. I don't want to do my job just to do my job. I want to do it in a way that actually wears love, that my faith filters in the way that I do this. I want to have people in my life who are, who are on a consistent, regular basis. I've given them permission to be able to ask questions that lead me down this road. That we might be friends outside of this, we might not be friends outside of this, whatever. I don't need more friends, but what I do need is I need somebody going, what does it look like for you in your season? How are you wearing love? What's going on? How's it going? How's it been? What's been the process for you? So uh, in April, we're going to be um, leading some people through this. We're calling them Sherpas, which is going to be like a, a helping people get to where you want to be. Uh, and then in May, we're launching this thing full scale. You'll see more information coming about it. But please, please, please. Um, consider this for yourself, especially for those of you who have been a part of Eastlake for a while. You've done the starting point thing. You've got, you've got a base of faith. Listen, if you're here for the very like, first time or, or still kicking the tires and you're still like, I'm not even sure about Christianity, I get it, man. This might not be for you. This might be something that comes up down the road. I'm just telling you there's stepping stones in place to get from where we are to where we live out our faith in an engaged way, and I want you to be a part of it. And I feel like as your pastor, I have responsibility um, to do this. I feel a responsibility for myself because I can fall into a rut too where it's just about me and it's just about, you know, are we good? Are we good? And God's like, we're good, man, but you need to figure this out. You need to be better at living out love in your community and stop living for yourself because everything about the culture that we live in says do what's right for you and do what's right for you. And I don't know. I think that Christianity offers an alternative, a much better alternative. So that's what we're doing. All right, commercial done. Go get a water ball and make that half thing happen. I'm gonna, uh, we're going to close in communion today. I'm going to invite our uh, band to come back up. They're going to lead us in one last song. Uh, if you're serving on the communion team, you can make your way back, find Michelle in the back. And um, Communion at Eastlake looks a little bit different than maybe a church that you grew up in if, if this is new to you. Um, we're going to have two different stations up here at the front. On the right hand, it's going to be uh, regular bread and wine. On this side is gluten-free bread and juice. So based on your dietary age restrictions, uh, participate however you want. Uh, the band's going to lead us in one last song. We'll have everybody stand up. At any point during the song, you feel free to slip out, uh, make your way forward, take a piece of bread, dip it in the juice, and uh, you either take it back to your seat or consume it there. For us, it's a reflective thing. It's a uh, we, re- we remind ourselves of Christ's death on a cross as a statement of God's love for us, that he would send us him to die for us. Um, we do it communally. It has a, a communal aspect. We all do it together. There's no like, all right, for those of you who give a certain dollar amount, you guys get to come up here. It's really nice. For those of you who are like, no, it's in the back somewhere, right? Uh, nothing like that. And then also has a, like a forward-looking thing uh, as well as we do this uh, with church, Global Sea Church. Um, it's been one of the two sacraments of the church, um, baptism and communion, since the beginning. And uh, we don't do it every week because we don't want to lose the vitality and the uniqueness of it. Um, but uh, you picked a good day to come because we're going to be taking it. So would you stand real quick? I'm going to pray for us. Father, our prayer, our ask of you is that you would help us. We want to be a people who are grateful for the grace that you've bestowed upon us. And we know it's not in repayment to you. There's no way to repay, uh, to make things right with you. You've done all of the work on that behalf, but you do invite us to live out our faith in a way that is loving. And Paul says it's the only thing that matters. So give us the wisdom to know what to do with what we've heard, the courage to act on it in your name. Amen.